Hi, and welcome to episode two of the Saving Green podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to covering environmental and natural resource problems and how they can be solved. Today, we're going to be covering the train derailment in East Palestine. We're going to look back at what happened, who is responsible, and what has changed now that nearly three months have passed, and what kind of solutions can be applied to prevent disasters like this from happening again, and what kind of resources can be provided for the people of East Palestine and other affected areas from this catastrophe. Before we get started, I want to talk about a few places you can go to follow and support the Saving Green podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Saving Green Pod. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify. So if you could leave a like, subscribe, comment, and or a uh, five-star review, it would be much appreciated. If you leave a five-star review, I'll actually read it at the beginning of each show, uh, the ones that we get in each week or other week when I submit an episode. And we also have a Patreon that you can give to if you like the content that you hear on this podcast and you want to hear more of it and you want to help support the pod. Uh, I'm trying to do episodes at least bi-weekly, and I'd love to be able to get it up to weekly, and some financial support would definitely help. Um, that's also at patreon.com slash savinggreenpod. Got to have the brand synergy, you know, saving green pod everywhere. And uh, Patreon subscribers will get extra benefits like shout outs at the end of each episode and access to additional content like early episode drops and uh, things that I post about sort of environmental issues that are ongoing that might not be full episodes, uh, things like that. And all of these links are available if you follow the link tree, which is available in the episode description, or it's also in the show bio, so you can access those at any time. Uh, I'll also be setting up a Discord in the near future uh, for the show, where you can all meet as a community and talk to me and each other, and we can all discuss ongoing environmental issues. You can submit ideas you have for the show of important issues that you think should be covered, You know, post memes and other fun stuff. Uh, with that going, let's get the episode started. Thanks for listening. First, I want to talk about what actually happened. What occurred with the trail derailment? What chemicals were re- were released? Um, what happened after they were released? Everything like that. And there was a timeline that's been provided by the Ohio River Valley Institute, which is a nonprofit covering sort of environmental health in the Ohio River Valley area, which includes East Palestine and areas downstream, which can go all the way to Pittsburgh, uh, which is the, the closest major metropolitan area, but there are many other towns and cities in the area as well. And so over three months ago on February 3rd, uh, a train from Northbrook Southern of 50, de- of 50 cars derailed near East Palestine, Ohio. The train was carrying a multitude of hazardous petrochemicals, most notably vinyl chloride, which is a known carcinogen. It's also known for causing liver and brain damage, immune system damage, and other adverse health effects. An EPA report after the crash later revealed that many undisclosed chemicals also leaked, including ethahexyl acrylate, isobutylene, and ethylene glycol monobutyl ether, all of which are known carcinogens and also have associated health risks. Local residents, after the event of the crash on the 3rd, were ordered to evacuate due to an explosion risk on Sunday the 5th, two days after the crash. 
The next day, Northwick Southern conducted what it called a controlled burn of over 1.1 million pounds of vinyl chloride to attempt to avoid an explosion on site. This created a massive plume of pollution, creating a giant billowing cloud that spread pollution for miles in the rain and in the air. And Northwick Southern did not consult with the APA before conducting this burn test, and it did not meet EPA standards. Just two days after the release of these chemicals into the environment, officials lifted the evacuation order on February 8th, despite the massive amount of pollutants that were still present in the area. Videos show waterways covered in a shining, iridescent sheen of chemicals that made it undrinkable. Residents could not drink their own tap water because it was poisonous. Local residents complained of headaches, burning eyes, noses and throats, vomiting, and high levels of anxiety. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine held a press conference to discuss the spill, and a news journalist from News Nation was forcibly arrested while trying to cover the event on the 8th. Northwick Southern was given majority control over operations after the disaster, including cleanup and testing, and a large amount of it was done through third-party contractors that they hired, such as the Center for Toxicology and Environmental Health. Residents report being gaslit by contractors, being told that the smells of chemicals in their homes were not there. They report that the levels measured by the people were not what ended up in the final reports. Um, a resident reported in interviews with a more perfect union that contractors did not listen to their concerns and denied evidence in front of them. It was also later revealed that contractors did not comply with EPA standards while they were doing cleanup and testing. The next day, February 9th, Northwick Southern offered the city of East Palestine in total a measly $25,000, despite the fact that their air was poisoned, the water was now undrinkable, and more toxic chemicals had also entered the groundwater and the soil in the area. On February 10th, video emergence of the train's axles catching fire more than 20 miles before the train actually derailed in East Palestine. Videos also began emerging of fish dying in massive amounts in local waterways, and Ohio's own Department of Natural Resources confirms that over 3,500 fish had died by Monday the 13th, just 10 days after the disaster. On the 14th, it was revealed that the train was not classified as hazardous, despite the fact that it was carrying numerous hazardous materials, including vinyl chloride. Officials also made the claim that air quality in the town was normal, while at the same time, the Ohio EPA revealed that a chemical plume was traveling down the Ohio River from the spill. Northwick, Northwick Southern then made an offer to pay $1,000 to each individual citizen as an inconvenience check. On Wednesday the 15th, 
Norfolk Southern backed out of a town hall in East Palestine to discuss the train derailment, citing, citing safety issues. And that is just insulting to the people of the town who are paying the cost of Norfolk Southern creating this massive chemical spill in their town that they can't even show up and talk to the people about it because they're concerned for their safety. Officials on that day also claim that the water is safe to drink and Ohio's attorney general dropped charges against the arrested journalist, Evan Lambert. At this time, the EPA also claimed that their samples did not detect toxins and they also refused to test for dioxins the first month after the crash. Dioxins are chemicals that can be created through incomplete burns of vinyl chloride, which was the main substance that was released in the crash and then burned through the attempted control burn by Norfolk Southern. Samples taken by independent researchers Scott Smith of Ecotechnologies and Justin Johnson of Big Pine, Con Big Pine Consulting, however, revealed that two months after the crash, they still found six substances that are created from incomplete burns of vinyl chloride and 11 dioxins. These people spoke with a Pittsburgh-based CBS affiliate news channel called KDKA-TV in an interview where they revealed these tests. At this point, pollution from the crash is believed to have entered streams, rivers, groundwater, and soil, putting downstream residents in the Ohio River Valley at risk, such as Pittsburgh. This crash is being referred to as one of the largest environmental disasters in United States history, potentially, potentially the largest. And this timeline shows that at the beginning, the focus was Norfolk Southern getting to control all aspects of cleanup and control and trying to kind of cover up for themselves and deny the fact that there were massive amounts of chemicals. The EPA was even coming in, a federal agency that's supposed to be overseeing these things and also making claims that were just false and trying to force these people to move back to their homes to not receive ample financial compensation for the fact that their entire community, their entire town has basically been destroyed and is now unlivable, but they have nowhere to go. They don't have the economic resources to just go somewhere else. They're not having the health resources that they needed provided to them. They're not getting anything that they need. Nobody is talking about this story three months out. It's not a serious political concern for anybody. It's crazy that we live in this country, the United States, which is supposed to be the greatest country in the world, and it is the wealthiest nation that has ever existed, and yet we're allowing massive environmental catastrophes to happen on our soil that impact thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, even millions, if, if this pollution really can make its way to Pittsburgh and we're just not talking about it. So how can a disaster like this happen in the first place? What are the variables that led up to an event like this occurring? It's important to know this because this train derailment is not an anomaly. Train derailments have been increasing, increasing across the country and there are legitimate reasons why this is happening. Now, one major issue 
is that under Donald Trump's presidency, he ended up passing deregulation for train legislation. And this was because during Barack Obama's uh, presidency, he passed an executive order that required trains carrying hazardous and flammable materials to have more advanced brake systems called electronically controlled pneumatic brakes. Uh, this order was rescinded by Donald Trump via executive order in 2017. Uh, the National Transportation Safety Board confirmed that the trains that derailed in East Palestine were not equipped with these ECP brakes. And given that the train derailment was caused by the brake system catching fire, having these upgraded brakes on the train carrying hazardous materials could have prevented the derailment. Stephen Didemeyer, a, a former top official at the Federal Rail Railroad Administration, told an investigative news outlet called The Level that the severity of the crash may have been aggravated by the lack of ECPs. Now, this deregulation is not the only issue that is facing the rail industry. It is actually much more systemic than that. And it leads to the fact that a lot of the rail industry is privatized and owned by several corporations that are more focused on making profits than protecting the safety of their trains and protecting their workers. And last year, right before Christmas, there was the potential of a rail worker strike that was going to happen. A dozen unions that represented 115,000 rail workers were collectively bargaining for a new contract with rail companies. A major sticking point in the contract was that rail workers were asking for just one week of sick leave. Just one week. Rail workers were threatening to strike if their demands were not met. And the lack of cargo transportation during a rail worker strike, according to Reuters, could cause the economy to lose up to $2 billion in a single day. So it's definitely a major part of the U.S. economy moving these goods to the places that they need to go to be turned into something or to be sold. And without that, the economy suffers and it would affect everybody. And so because these rail workers are so important for the economy at large, they should be treated with respect and dignity and be able to get a week of sick leave if they need it especially if they're carrying hazardous materials in, in their trains and not just commercial goods. Eight of the 12 unions approved the plan and were originally asking for 15 sick days as well, but the, eventually the federal government stepped in um, because the federal government has authority to create their own settlements for strikes and disputes that involve transportation because it is considered a cross-state national industry that also has such an effect on the economy at large. And Joe Biden signed a deal into law that was passed by Congress that provided zero sick days for workers and only one personal day. This also passed the Senate by an 80 yes to 15 no vote. And seeing that one of the few bipartisan issues is to break strikes and give workers objectively bad deals that will affect their personal health is kind of sad. And it's kind of sad seeing that this is the point that we're at. And I think we're seeing the consequences of it with derailments like the East Palestine derailment. Because if you have workers who are overworked, who can't take time off when they're sick, 
They're not going to be able to work at their best. They're going to be tired. They're going to be facing all sorts of issues. And they're not going to be able to make 100% clear-headed decisions when they're doing these important safety checks. This also comes at a time when rail companies are making record profits, including Norfolk Southern, which is here the responsible party for the fact that this train derailed and they, they tried to cover it up and this is having severe consequences on people uh, not just in East Palestine but in the entire region. So it's it's insane first of all because they did not even classify this train as hazardous despite the fact that it was carrying over 1.1 million pounds of vinyl chloride alone. This has to be criminal. You cannot simply lie about transporting dangerous and hazardous goods. Can you imagine the kind of consequences that a private citizen would face for actions like this since they're not a business? If they were just carrying, I don't know, in their car a million pounds of poison and they got pulled over by the cops, I don't think that would go super well for them <laughs> if they hadn't, you know, told someone, oh, hey, by the way, I'm transporting a million pounds of poison, just a heads up at the very least. And the fact that this train derailed and it wasn't classified, it, it has to be even more criminal. It has to be, there has to be consequences for something like this. And the, the board of Norfolk Southern, the CEO, none of them are facing any scrutiny or anything like that. They're not gonna face jail time. They're not gonna face actual criminal consequences for their actions. And a big part of the reason for that is because this company spends a massive amount of money on political lobbying. In 2022 alone, they spent $1.8 million in lobbying, according to Open Secrets, which tracks political spending uh, by different organizations, and it also tracks it by specifically who the money is going to. And they're using that money to buy political influence, to pass policies that make them more money while allowing themselves to have less regulation. Since 2007 alone, Norfolk Southern has spent more than $5.4 million on lobbying in Harrisburg, just in Pennsylvania, with more than 355000 spent lobbying state lawmakers in 2022 alone. Since the crash, since the derailment, Norfolk Southern has brought on two new high-profile lobbyists who have ties to major political figures such as Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Republican Senator John Cornyn. The company's political action committee has also made multiple political contributions to Democrats and Republicans on the Senate Environmental and Public Works Committee, which recently pressed the, the CEO of Norfolk Southern uh, on the February crash and the release of vinyl chloride in a hearing. Norfolk Southern has also made several contributions to legislative leaders in the Pennsylvania General Assembly, including House Speaker Joanna McClinton, Senate President Pro Tempore Kim Ward, Senate Democratic Leader Jay Costa, Senate Majority Leader Joe Pittman, and House Majority Leader Brian Cutler. Norfolk Southern earned more than $3 billion in 2022 alone, and while it did invest $2 billion into railways and operations in 2022, which was up, over the past five years, they have paid nearly $18 billion 
to shareholders through stock buybacks and dividends, which is twice as much as the amount as it is invested in its railways and operations. I think that, you know, maybe if instead of $9 billion, they had been able to invest the full sum of $27 billion into their railways, into their safety equipment, into getting better brakes, into getting stronger rail cars that won't break during crashes, into having better pay and benefits for their employees, maybe this crash could have been preventable. At the same time as they were over-investing in paying back shareholders, the rate of accidents on Norfolk Southern Railways increased in each of the last four years. According to the company's own data, the record has worsened as executives at Norfolk Southern keep telling investors on Wall Street that they think that they can improve their profit margins by cutting costs. This is at the same time as they're lobbying against new rules that are aimed at making trains even safer. And over the past five years, major railroads, including Norfolk Southern, have cut their workforce by nearly one-third shuttered rail yards where rail cars are traditionally expected and are running longer and heavier trains. And this is according to the New York Times. And over the... Railroads are also pushing to have trains run by just one single person instead of a minimum of two. Now, this is a big deal because trains are typically run, especially long-haul trains, with a minimum of two people. Sometimes short-run trains can be run by one person depending on if it's considered safe, but there's a need to have two on longer runs because there's an engineer and a conductor. And the engineer is the person who actually drives the train and the conductor checks cars for any problems, makes safety checks, and couples and uncouples train cars. And so both of these jobs are incredibly important to keep the train working and moving, but also to make sure that all the train cars are safe. There's also concerns that running longer and heavier trains increases the likelihood that there is a possibility of derailment. There's also major concerns over, according to a New York Times interview with Ian Nyish, a train safety consultant and a former investigator at the Transportation Safety Board of Canada, longer, heavier, and faster trains without proper adjustment and safety protocols cause thinner risk margins and this means that it's it's more dangerous and there's more chance that risks can happen such as derailing the train that derailed in east palestine was 149 cars long and federal regulators classified trains with 150 cars or more as very long as well Residents of East Palestine are also facing many hurdles to actually receiving the help that Northbrook Southern has promised. To claim payments, residents have to show up in person at a center Northbrook Southern set up in a nearby town, New Waterford. Uh, for those who are staying far away from, from East Palestine, living in hotels or with family or something along those lines, this can mean having to drive for several hours. One person interviewed said she had to wait for four hours the last time she visited the center as well. When people's turns actually came, 
Uh, ten residents reported that they were given conflicting information about which expenses would be covered, were offered smaller sums than neighbors, and were told to get additional documentation that had not been required before they had shown up. A man in Northwick Southern said he struggled to get a reimbursement because he had to pay groceries and restaurant bills for his son-in-law, his daughter, and his grandkids, all of whom had been evacuated uh, from East Palestine because of the derailment. And he was turned away initially as well when he tried to claim his inconvenience check but was able to return after the zone Northwick Southern was covering was expanded uh, and claimed $4,000 for him and his family on top of some of their evacuation costs. Uh, this is still not enough payments for people when their town has been destroyed and made to be unlivable because they are going to have to completely ro relocate their lives, find new homes, find new schools, find new jobs, and they also will be faced with considerable medical costs because of the amount of contamination in the area, not just the immediate health concerns that they're presented with right now, but also the fact that there are so many carcinogens present in the area that could cause drastic health problems such as cancers years down the line. In total, Northwick Southern has pledged $26.6 in community assistance, and a representative from the company said that more than 6,540 households have dis received uh, some kind of relief related to the derailment, but the company has declined to say how much money has actually been distributed so far. And the fact that they're only offering $26.6 to these people whose lives have been completely turned upside down well, over the past five years, they've offered $18 billion to stock buybacks and to give money to investors is crazy. That's just, that's just a drop in the hat of the amount of profits that they actually have access to, and they should be required to pay much more towards these people because of the, the, the kind of criminal acts that they're doing by not classifying these trains as hazardous and then running them in risky ways. The zone that Norfolk Southern is using to reimburse people also likely does not cover the full extent of pollution that has been caused to the air, the land, the soil, and the water from the disaster. Now that it's entered waterways, and I'm, I mean the Ohio Department of Natural Resources said a plume of chemicals was heading down the, the Ohio Valley River, it, there's clearly, they're clearly not giving resources to the number of people who need them and because this is not being taken seriously and there's not a serious cleanup effort going on this pollution can just continue to spread and it's not being cleaned up and it can just continue to hurt more people downstream or just persist in the land and soil <clears throat> and water in the area for a long time to come and train derailments are a problem with not just Norfolk Southern the Bureau of Transportation Statistics records over 54,000 train derailments between 1990 and 2021, with an average of 1,704 a year, according to Yahoo. Uh, on an article they were doing covering the, the, the train derailment and related incidents, uh, the 
data shows that dangerous chemicals were only released in 11 train accidents uh, in 2022, um, but just a single train accident with dangerous chemicals should not be acceptable, uh, particularly one at the scale of what has happened in Norfolk Southern. Violations like Norfolk Southern's are also not uncommon. Between 2016 and 2021, government inspectors identified nearly 13,000 violations relating to hazardous materials, and this was up a third since what had happened in the previous five years. Now, the fact that violations of hazardous materials like what happened at East Palestine with them not reporting it happening this frequently is scary when you consider the implications of increases in train derailments from companies like Norfolk Southern and the real impact that they have on not just the environment but people's lives. Another person who has kind of helped to make this situation worse is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. Um, one of the major things he failed to do was not declare a state of emergency, which would have allowed increased government resources and oversight over the cleanup uh, and care for the disaster. Additionally, he also said himself in a press conference that President Biden offered him assistance related to the disaster, but that he deemed it unnecessary. He later did a photo op with EPA officials where they showed up to East Palestine and sort of pretended to drink water uh, from the tap to prove that it's safe and to prove that there, there's nothing wrong. And this is actually a common propaganda tactic that's used by the government during environmental crises. For example, it was used by President Obama during the Flint, Michigan crisis when their water was contaminated due to old lead pipes. He showed up and drank water that had been filtered multiple times before he actually got to drink it. And pretended that it meant that their water was fine and that nothing needed to be done. Um, and it's the kind of act that people do when they're trying to deflect from the seriousness of a situation and they're trying to make a good public photo op that looks good for the news where they can say, oh, everything is fine and everybody can go back to their lives as normal. And turning down federal assistance and doing these photo ops is insane when the people that put you into office are facing a massive environmental health disaster that affects them, their families, and entire towns. It puts people's lives at risk, and it's just ignorant, and it's, it's failing to do your job as a governor. So what is being done? There's a lot that has gone wrong in the process here with the derailment. There's been a lot of cover up. There's been a lot of Norfolk Southern trying to shove it under the rug so that they can continue to, to run their trains unsafely to make more money. Um, but what's the good news? What what are people doing to try to make a change? And one important note is that in March, Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost did announce a federal lawsuit against Norfolk Southern over the derailment. Uh, it accuses Norfolk Southern of violating a range of federal and state laws uh, with counts of negligence, trespassing, and breaches of this federal act called CERCLA, the Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Act, 
which deals with hazardous chemicals, uh, their cleanup, and kind of consequences with, with polluting them and things like that. In the wake of the derailment, Norfolk Southern has pledged to its enhance its safety operations. Uh, it published a new six-point safety plan aimed at responding to the findings of the National Transportation Safety Board's investigation, uh, which did conclude that an overheated axle was to blame for the derailment. Now, this pledge does not mean anything without some kind of actual data and information backing it. What kind of money are they investing in it? What kind of res resources are they investing in to make their, their trains safer? Um, things like that. In the U.S. Senate, Republicans and Democrats have also come together to create legislation called the Railway Safety Act of 2023, and this would subject all trains carrying hazardous materials to the same federal regulations that are used for high-hazard flammable trains. Uh, this would include setting specific requirements for installation, upkeep, and placement of wayside defect detectors, which monitor the wheel bearings of passing trains. The bill would also require two-person crews, increase the fines that the federal government can levy against railroads, and also allocate $27 million to prevent derailments in the future. These are all good things. I would definitely like to see more than $27 million going towards this, considering the scope of the entire country and the amount of resources that are going to need to be invested in. $27 million is just a drop in the bucket. Um, another important act that is coming through the Senate Senate that it has support from uh, Bob Casey, John, Sen John Fetterman, and Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown introduced the Railway Accountability Act. This would direct the Federal Railroad Administration to study rim failures and derailments. And it would also task the agency to develop new mitigation strategies and regulations to prevent failures from happening in the first place. This is significant because this is putting more resources towards these specific types of derailments and train failures that seem to be occurring more. The legislation, the Railway Accountability Act, would also prohibit mechanics from inspecting train brakes while a train is still in motion, and it requires uh, inspecting the train to attest to its safety. In Pennsylvania, state lawmakers are also passing new railroad regulations because of the amount of train traffic that goes through the state and the fact that they were impacted by the East Palestine uh, derailment because of the amount of pollution that spread. Uh, in, in Pennsylvania, Republican State Senator Doug Mastriano introduced legislation in the state Senate that would create an emergency grant program for people affected by the February East Palestine derailment. This would give increased uh, resources to people within 15 miles of the derailment site that would cover things like medical costs, loss of income and value for a small business, costs to the cleaning, repair, and decontamination of homes, and relocation expenses for those who have permanently moved out of the area. These are all great. These are all definitely directed in the right direction um, to get people the kind of resources they need, the, the medical care, the ability to either either decontaminate their homes or in 
what is likely in many cases where they are too contaminated to be able to permanently move out of the area and re relocate somewhere new. Um, and it also even covers, you know, if they had a small business or the, the time that they haven't been able to work, that loss of income. So these are all really great things. Some other steps that can be taken in the future uh, to prevent things like this are first and foremost to hold companies more accountable. And as I've mentioned before, Norfolk Southern did not classify this train that derailed as hazardous. Um, they also did not consult with the EPA before they they burned off a million pounds of toxic chemicals, creating a toxic cloud, a toxic plume coming up. I mean, these are severely dangerous acts that they're engaging in that are having real consequences on people's lives. So there need to be significant financial penalties that will be used to help pay for cleanup, to help pay for helping people kind of start their lives over and relocating and taking care of their medical needs. But then there also need to be serious consequences for the people who are enabling this type of work to who, to whoever is letting people not classify trains as hazardous, to run them with too many cars, with brakes that aren't updated, that can catch fire. There, there needs to be, there need to be real criminal penalties after a major environmental catastrophe at the level of what has been committed by Norfolk Southern. And that is not a controversial take at all, considering the level especially that they have gone to to try to cover everything up and shove it under the rug and not help the people of East Palestine. There also need to be changes made to the way that we look at rail across the country and this includes creating mandates for stronger cars on trains that carry hazardous materials so that if they do crash they're less likely to break or to cause spills or you know these kind of chemical catastrophes like we've seen here in East Palestine we need to mandate harsh penalties for not listing hazardous materials there needs to be real oversight from government agencies into safety practices before these accidents occur. We cannot just take these companies' word for granted that they are conducting in these safety practices. There needs to be legitimate ways that it can be validated by a third party that can say, yes, like they clearly have updated these brakes. They clearly have coupled these train cars well. There clearly are two people working this train and not one, these kind of things. We also need to decrease the ability of companies like Norfolk Southern, which control major parts of our country's essential infrastructure, to be able to use the money they make it on it to just enrich themselves and their investors and not reinvest into their, their trains, their rail networks, our country at large, and also their, their own employees who do all of the work for them, who run the trains, who do the maintenance, all of those things. We also should expand ECP break requirements by, and Joe Biden could do this at any time by executive order. And I think it should really cover all trains. At the minimum, it should cover all trains ca carrying any kind of hazardous material. But at this point, realistically, we should probably just put them on all trains if they are, if brakes are such an issue in these derailments. We also need to provide significant amount of resources to the people of East Palestine, those who have 
not been able to relocate and are still living there need to be be able to immediately evacuate. Many residents in the area are still suffering from severe health symptoms and conditions, and the massive amount of carcinogens in the area present massive risk to the people who are forced to live there long term. And, and they don't have the financial resources just by themselves to be able to go somewhere else that's safer. The kind of resources that we can provide for them are things like permanent housing resources, not just temporary hotels, but somewhere they can go that is safe and that them and their families can settle down and kind of start their lives over. They need food subsidies, healthcare subsidies. Um, people need to have tests done to assess the level of health risk of people that have been exposed, um, what they can expect, not just right now, but in the future, um, so that they can kind of help plan for that or or do what they can to help mitigate the, the, the damages from their exposure to these to these dangerous chemicals. We also need to eliminate the ability for companies like Northbrook Southern to have such a massive influence through donations and lobbying in ways that is influencing policy to become too relaxed and allow increased safety risks and disasters to happen. If Companies cannot be held accountable, though, if they continue to allow disasters like this to happen, like derailments like this to happen. They continue to lie about the things that they are transporting in their trains. Then, frankly, the only option left would be to nationalize the entire railroad industry. Because if it really is such a crucial part of the national economy, why should we allow private companies to run it at such high risk in order to make profits for just a small number of people. It doesn't make any sense when you consider the real-life consequences that are happening because of th these kinds of business practices. Nationalizing the rail industry would eliminate this issue because nationalized industries are not run for profit. They are run for the people. And, I mean, we're obviously seeing that there are problems, not just within the rail industry but also within environmental industries um, these kinds of of changes would need to come with significant new legislation that creates heavy mandates to actually provide for the people and significant consequences when they're not made with real uh, structures of power to enforce that kind of thing too it would also give more opportunities for increasing the the quality of our entire rail system nationwide we could put the the massive amount of money available in the federal government and that has been made available through things like the infrastructure investment um infrastructure and inflation reduction act and different big investments like that that have come through in the federal legislature recently uh, we can use that to also build a national high-speed rail system that creates better transportation opportunities for people across the country. Uh, this could decrease car and plane travel, which would, you know, emit cars and planes emit much more CO2 than railways do, and trains can run on renewable energy much easier. Um, they can carry much more people, so we can reduce traffic. We can reduce the need to have everybody have a, a brand new electric car and the amount of materials that needs to go into that. Trains can run in all weather conditions. Um, 
nationalizing the rail industry would also give more opportunities for local, state, and federal governments to synergize their rail networks and create robust transportation infrastructure at the local, state, and federal levels. Imagine if your community had a rail line that could take you to the shops and to the malls and to the places that you needed to go um, to, to see your friends uh, locally or to, to buy the things that you needed. But then you were also able to jump from those trains onto ones that ran all across the country. I mean, it would be it would be huge for the level of accessibility that people that people can have. Um, and again, this would require extensive collaboration between different levels of government. Um, and it would also need to you need to make sure that rail infrastructure does not adversely impact uh, any communities, and that you specifically provide high-quality rail infrastructure in disadvantaged and low-income communities um, because this would just increase the amount of economic opportunities that people have when they don't need to buy a car and they can just easily get to any job within you know a larger radius of them as well. The, uh, the final thing that really needs to be done and taken seriously is we need to give rail workers better contracts. These people are the lifeblood of the United States economy. They transport incredible amounts of good, and especially if a rail strike would cause $2 billion a day in economic damages, then they are clearly essential workers, and they work difficult and dangerous jobs, so they deserve to be fairly compensated, treated with respect and dignity like a human being, and they deserve basic, basic things like getting sick days, there has been a recent update on the uh, the contract that was signed into law by President Biden, where workers now have four sick days, but that's still not enough. 365 days in the year, you can use all four of your sick days if you just get the flu or something like that, or if you get COVID, um, which we're seeing which we're seeing a resurgence of again, and rail workers need to be adequately paid they need to have enough people on the trains and at stations to make proper safety checks uh, we can't allow trains to run with just one person we need to stop running such long and heavy trains and instead run more trains that are shorter and better staffed to meet safety standards even if it hurts profit margins a little bit profit margins of a private company matter much less than real people's lives and health and putting them at risk by by choosing to allow trains to run dangerously just to make money is insane. So if you've listened to this whole podcast and it's got you feeling jazzed up, it's got you feeling energized and wanting to do something and wanting to make a difference, there are definitely things that you can do to help on an individual level, you can spread the kind of information that you've learned about uh, the East Palestine train derailment and this environmental disaster to encourage people to learn about the true impact and severity of it. It really is one of the worst environmental catastrophes that we've ever seen, and it needs to be taken seriously. You can do that by sharing this podcast. There's also plenty of other awesome information out there that people are doing, lots of other journalism. If you want to continue to research it so that you know more, um, because again, it, it, the situation does change kind of day by day. It's still ongoing. Um, and, and there are still opportunities for, uh, things to get better. Definitely. And one way you can also do that is to call your federal congressperson or Senator 
and express your concern about the East Palestine train derailment and the broader problems with the rail industry, the dangers it poses to not just people who have already been affected by it, but people who could be affected by it in the future. Um, you can also express your support to your federal representatives for the Railway Safety Act of 2023 and the Railway Accountability Act. Getting people to vote for it will make actual substantial changes in, in policy in the way that, um, that trains and rail are regulated in the United States. You can also ask your representative to stand up for the disaster in East Palestine and speak about the severity of it and that it's not being covered and that it should be taken seriously um, by the government and by people at large. This kind of environmental disaster should not be allowed in this country and we need to help people who have been affected by it. You can also call or write to leave a comment with the White House. While your letter might not make it directly to President Biden, um, if enough people reach out to express their concerns, then White House staff may make it a more prominent issue to highlight as Joe Biden is considering running for re-election in 2024. Um, optically, I mean, it's pretty bad to let an entire town in your country be affected by a major environmental disaster. So if he wants to run as a candidate who is good for the environment, who's good for unions, who's good for, you know, whatever, then we need to press him on it. Um, and on that note, you can also encourage the Biden administration to provide better contracts for rail workers uh, that promote better safety standards, that give more sick days, better pay, all these kinds of things. And you can also ask the Biden administration to sign an executive order to put ECP brakes on all trains so that they're safer and less likely to derail. If you live in the affected areas um, that have been affected by this disaster, then definitely push your local and state representatives to call them and ask them to support local legislation that is, is going to make substantial changes or to pass and write legislation that will seriously regulate rail industries and prevent things like this in the future. Um, also, probably don't vote for Governor Mike DeWine. He turned down federal resources that could have actually helped people and didn't take this disaster seriously. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Saving Green Podcast. I'm really excited to get this show started. Next episode, I want to talk a little bit about electric cars and why the mining for the lithium and cobalt and other minerals in their batteries is problematic and how having more robust public transportation options can be a better solution uh, that limits that kind of pollution and harm to human health from, from these kinds of mining procedures. Um, thank you so much for listening. Again, remember to check out us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Leave a good review, leave a comment, like and subscribe, all that all that good stuff. Um, check out the link tree for all of those links. And if you really like the show, go ahead and subscribe to the Patreon. Um, you can subscribe at really any level and uh, just a few dollars a month would definitely help make a big difference and start getting this show a little bit more off the ground. And getting more regular episodes and some new features added to it and other great stuff. So thank you so much for listening and I'll see you all next time.